Welcome to Parallel Church. If this is your first time, a special welcome to you. And I just wanna give you a little bit of backstory of, of what you've walked into. Uh, we typically, I, I typically go away at the, uh, you know, in the fall and I pray about the, the upcoming year. And I do this for a couple of reasons. I do it because I, I, want, I want to prepare kind of series where we're going, but I really want to seek God and say, where are you, where are you taking us and what are you doing uh, in our church and how are we going to get from point A, you know, January to, to the end of the year and where it takes us. And then I, I write out and make out a plan of, of what we're going to preach throughout the year and come back and work with the team and create a calendar and it helps our our teams kind of prepare the services and all the rest of that and every once in a while god kind of disrupts the plans and and when that's that's not his change of mind that's me missing him somewhere along the path just to just to bring clarity to that well one of those disruptions just happened and and we had a whole year planned out and i just went to the team a couple weeks ago and i was like okay we're throwing out the entire year's plans because i feel like what i had prepared for in in march at the beginning of the march and vision sunday i said i i started preparing that message and i was like there's so much in here i can't get it out in one week i don't think i can get it out in two weeks i don't think i can get it out in two months i don't know how long this series is going to be but i feel very strongly that god is shaking some things and shifting some things not just in in our church but i feel like globally he's up to something and i don't know exactly what it is but i feel like we need to park on something right now right here kind of prophetically if, if that's okay and so we threw out the whole plan and i said to the team i know this doesn't help your planning and all the rest of it i'm sorry but and all of them without exception were like no we feel the same thing let's go let's do it and so uh, we're welcome to maybe the beginning of the series, maybe the middle of the series, maybe the end. I don't know. But what I do know is, is God is doing something. And, and, and I, I don't know what that is. And I'm not here to give you all the answers. That, hear me out. He hasn't spoken to me and give me clarity. But I, he has, has very clearly led me into asking questions and, and stirring up some things. And, and we're in a journey together. Uh, trying to explore what God is doing and what God is disrupting and if you if you see something like the last two years have created an enormous amount of angst in a lot of us and not just COVID but has anybody else felt like I have that when people said well you know your restrictions are gone and we can go back to normal now yay and when they say let's go back to normal anybody else feel the same angst as me and going I don't want to go back to what was Anybody else? Like, I don't know, I just, I just feel like, no, that was then, and I feel like what is changing and what is happening now in, in the season coming up is different, and that we need to press into something different. And in particular, when it comes to Christianity and to the church, we need to press into something different, that God is, there's a major shift. And I don't know if you've seen the news or watched this, watch the news, but the church has been kind of forefront in the news, global church in the last number of months and there's disruption going on and there's shaking going on and it can be disheartening sometimes as christians to watch some of the stuff that's coming forth and and different things that are that are going on around the world and in the church and and, and the media you know attacking the church and it's not nice and it's not it's not great and there's been some more this week and different things and all the rest of it and it can be disheartening as a, as a church but I, listen i'm 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 aware 
paying attention. And there's something inside me that is sad, but at the same time excited because God is shaking what can be shaking and he's doing something. And so I, I, I just feel like in this series that we need to press into some things just a little bit, maybe deeper than we have before in some ways. And so if, if you're here and you're expecting, uh, you know, you're expecting something, I promise you probably what we're gonna deliver is not what you're expecting. Those of you who are even in the church for a while, because I feel like, I, and the only word I can use is this deep angst inside of me, and I have a whole lot of questions. I grew up in the church. I grew up going to church my entire life, probably as a child. I can count on one hand how many services even that we missed as a child, even when on holidays my parents would find a church wherever we would go, and we would, we'd never miss church. And I grew up in all that. But I've had, and I've, I've had moments where I've questioned my faith, but I've never had moments in the, like in the last two years that I've had so much angst and so much questioning and so much just, I don't know what God is doing and what's happening. And I don't know if what I've been raised in and what I've been taught about Christianity in the church, I don't know what is man-made and what is God-made and what is, what, is, what is Western world and what is like his original plan. And so I had a whole lot of questions and I thought that was just me. And I'm just, this is like, you're going, you're, you're pastor, you're supposed to like, if you don't know, how do we know? But I'm telling you, I felt like I was gonna keep it all to myself. And then I thought, no, I'm gonna bring all you into my angst because I don't wanna experience all this on my own. So welcome to the inside my brain and it's terrifying thing to see. But as I, the reason why I felt you know, permission to, to, to go there is because I started having conversations with pastors and leaders and, and, and with many of you. And as we've done this, I've started to, 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 to hear the same type of questions come from a lot of us. So if you don't mind, I'm gonna do more question asking than, than answer giving. But we're going to, in the midst of that question, we're going to dive into, into the Bible and, and, and to, to discover we're looking for something we haven't seen before and to discover who we are, who God made us to be, what the church is, and if we're doing it right. Is that okay? Nobody's, am I the only one that's had questions? Okay. Just making sure, if, if, if I am, that's fine. I'll just talk to myself and preach to myself. It's all good. And you can just listen in. It's all good. Welcome to all of you joining us online, Hope and George and Danica and Jennifer and Deborah and Robin and Anthony and Marissa and, and Elizabeth and, and Jeannie, wherever you guys are watching from, welcome. Give them a big hand. One of the questions that I had and it started throughout COVID asking all these questions and different things. But one of the questions that I, I had is like, what's the purpose of the church? And one of the things that I read somewhere that just kind of stirred me up is they said, every religion's behavior on earth is influenced strongly by their belief in the afterlife and what they in particular believe about heaven or eternity after, and, and every religion without exception. So I, I mean, I read that and I was like, well, that's interesting. And I started, anytime I read a statement like that, I begin to question it and search it. And so I started searching, you know, some of the, all the religions on the planet, what they believe about heaven and what they believe about the afterlife. And it's amazing how what they believe dictates their behavior in many ways on earth. 
And then I started questioning my own belief systems about heaven and eternity. And like I said, I grew up in church, and I started questioning you know, everything that I've been taught about heaven. And when I got taught about heaven as a child, I was told that it was uh, uh, this perfect place with no pain, no weeping, no, no sickness, no disease, like this perfect and, and, and it's all good. And it's kind of described to me like this perfect utopia, which the Bible does say, but that was the main emphasis. And I realized, I was also taught that it was also a place where you get to worship God forever and ever and ever. And like it's nonstop, circling around the throne, holy, 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 and like worshiping God forever and ever and ever. And I thought, well, that's, that's, that's cool. I like worship and I like music, but I mean, I really like music and I really like worship, but forever is a long time. Like, is there anything else we get to do? And then I've been told, you know, there's no work in heaven. And I was like, that's cool. I'm, I'm a self-confessed workaholic. I'm an, I'm an eight on the Enneagram. I, I like, like, my family knows that any, you know, when you go on holidays, um, you know, it's, it's the first three days is good. Let's get it all in. And then after that, let's get dad home, you know, um, because he needs something to do. Right, because if I if I get bored way too fast, like I mean, all all these things. So I was like, you know, eternity without work, without purpose. I was like, that doesn't sound like the place I want to go to. And I was like, okay, and I don't like you know Philly cream cheese that much. <laughs> you know, to sit on a cloud and play harps and eat Philly cream cheese, like, like not for eternity. Like, okay. All these things, and I was like, okay, what, what is heaven like? And then, so, I, you know, what do we think? And a lot of what I grew up being taught about heaven is I really began to see that Christianity kind of paints heaven like an escape plan. Like it's an escape from this big, bad, terrible world, and that one day we get to go there and everything's gonna be all good, and we don't have to put up with any of the pain, the weeping, the girl, like all the stuff here, that we just one day, this is not our home, that one day we just get to escape there. And I was like, okay, is that all that heaven is? Is it just an escape plan? And realizing that when we think that and we believe that, that we've created behaviors on earth where the church now has been viewed as an escape from the horrible world. That it's them out there who are in darkness and the world is going to hell and it's, they're terrible. And let's do whatever we possibly can to bring them from the darkness into the church and into the light and that we can, we can help them escape from the big, bad, horrible world and, and bring them in here. And that we've lived, not, not, not we, I've lived most of my life thinking that the rapture and the end times is an escape plan and, that the, and I've behaved like church is an escape from the big, bad, horrible world and I'm doing everything I possibly can to throw a life raft out there and pull you into the safety of the boat. Now, when I read the scriptures and I read the Bible, heaven's not exactly described that way. In fact, we started this series in Revelation 21 where John saw a vision of heaven and he saw a vision of a city, which kind of caught me off guard because it's a city. A city is the big, bad, evil, crime, corrupt, dirty, like, like we don't, go to the city for holidays. We escape the city and go to the gardens, to the mountains, to the you know, camping, all the rest of it. We don't, we don't escape to the city. Most of us don't. 
escape to the city to holiday. Like the city's what we escape from. And I'm like, wait, heaven's described as a city? That caught me off guard. And then it's described as this perfect city, which I was like, hey, cities are anything but perfect. But he describes it as beautiful and perfect. And the walls are decorated with jewels and, and the, 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 wall, you know, the, the gates are pearls and the streets are gold and it's perfect. And then he says this in verse 22, and this is where we, we launched from. Verse 22, he says, and I did not see a temple in the city. Describing him, I did not see a temple there. And I thought, well, that's interesting. Because it's especially interesting for a Jewish man to write to Jewish people and, and specifically point out that there's in, in heaven, in the city in heaven, there's no temple there. And it's interesting because to the Jewish people, the temple was the epicenter of God's presence, of where God dwelt. In fact, it was the epicenter of the entire city, of the entire nation. It was all about the temple. And, and that's what, you know, Solomon built and David wanted to build. And, and, and this is what any time that any of the, in the Old Testament, any of the nations conquered Jerusalem or conquered Israel, they would always state at the, at the forefront the status of the temple and what was left or wasn't left because it was the epicenter of everything. And then I thought, but heaven, to a Jewish man, a heaven, as he sees a vision, he points out that there's no temple there. And I began to think, I was like, why is this so important? And I began to think, if, if, if we as Christians are viewing heaven as the escape plan from this earth and there's no temple there, why is there no temple there? John told us it's because God's presence dwelt in the entire city. And I wondered if we believe that if, as to what John wrote down, I wonder if we would change our behavior on earth and seeing heaven as a city without a temple, God's presence in the temple. And I wonder just by seeing that if we would see our job as the church, as not creating the church as an escape from the city, but as our job is to actually redeem cities. That we're heading toward, that's what Christianity is about, is about, and what the church is here for is to redeem cities. So I launched all of that into, this, into looking throughout all the scriptures and I began to see everywhere cities and Jesus pointing it out and Paul pointing it out. And in fact, Nehemiah, the book of Nehemiah, I started to notice that the entire book in the Old Testament is about one man redeeming a city. And I thought, what if I was to read Nehemiah again as a template of how God wants the church, because a lot of the Old Testament is a foreshadowing what God wants to do with the church. What if I read Nehemiah as a template of how to redeem cities? So I started reading it. And we're in chapter one, and I can't get out of, I thought chapter one, my entire life was just the introduction of the rest of the story. And I can't get out of chapter one. So I don't know how long this series is gonna go, but I'm getting like half a verse today, because I just keep on getting stuck. So Nehemiah one starts out and says, the words of Nehemiah, the son of Halkiah, now it happened in the month of Chislev, the 20th year where I was in Susa, the capital. And the reason why he's there is because he's a prisoner of war who's been captured and he's been, as a slave, he's, he's been asked to be the cupbearer to the king of the very king that destroyed his family, his city, and all of that. And he's, that's why he's in the capital. And he says this in verse two, that Hananiah, one of my brothers, and some men from Judah came, and I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped and had survived the captivity about Jerusalem. Most likely, Nehemiah was captured before he saw the end of the war, and he's hauled off to the enemy's, you know, enemy's camp. And so he's asking, is anybody alive? Uh, is, what's the state of the city? You know, is anything left standing? And they said to me, verse 3, the remnant there in the province who survived the captivity are in great distress and reproach, and the wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates are burned with fire. 
which is not an unusual report after a war. Like, there's, it's destroyed. So when, verse 4, when I heard these words, I sat down and wept, and I thought, that's, that's kind of normal. You know, when you hear all the death and destruction and, and all of that, that he would weep, and probably everybody else that was with him would weep. But then he says, and mourned for days. And we pointed out that when Nehemiah mourned for days, that it troubled him. It troubled everybody that was listening to him, but it troubled him that he mourned for days. And there's certain things that, you, that trouble you more than others. And you're wondering, you know, maybe in your family and having discussions, nobody's had discussions in their family that's created angst and you can't figure out why nobody else is concerned about what's going on in our world or what's going on in our nation or what's going on in healthcare or what's going on in our city. And you're wondering why they're not as disturbed as you are. What's wrong with you people? How come you aren't as concerned as I am? Maybe if you're more concerned about something than somebody else, that might be an indication, just like it was for Nehemiah, that might be an indication of God's calling you to be the solver of problems. That he's put a burden on your heart that he's calling you to solve for such a time as this. For Nehemiah, he mourned for days. He had a burden. And what did he do about it? He began to fast and pray before the God of heaven. Which when you have a burden, what's the first thing you do? Pray. Which is good. But Nehemiah's prayer is different than my prayer would have been. See, my prayer would have been, God, you heard what's going on in in Jerusalem. Fix it. Okay, without a show of hands, anybody prayed that prayer? God, you've seen what's going on in Canada. Fix it. Nobody else? I'm praying, I'm like, God, fix this. That's what I would have prayed. That's what I have prayed. And then I'm like, Nehemiah, his prayer is different than mine. His prayer was, I beseech you, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who preserves the covenant and loving kindness for those who love him and keep his commandments. Verse six says, let your ear now be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant, which I'm praying before you now, day and night on behalf of the sons of Israel, your servants, confessing the sons of Israel, which we have sinned against you. And that hit me like a ton of, a brick, a ton of bricks because this is why. It hit me so hard because my prayer would have been, God, fix it. And honestly, it's okay for me to be really honest and blunt with you guys today. It's all right. God, would you fix him? <laughs> you can fill in the blank who you think the him is. <laughs> I don't think I'm the only one that's praying this. Like, God, you fix it and fix him or move him on. Like, I, I don't like something. <laughs> right? Because look at, look at, look at, look at, look at. Whenever we, see, we feel burdened for something and we see our nation in distress and our city in distress and all the rest of it, we look to cast blame. That's what we do. Like it's, The city is ruined. It's broken down. Someone's to blame. And Nehemiah, interesting, in his prayer, he doesn't blame God and he doesn't blame the very king who destroyed his city. Like He knows who's responsible for the state of a city. He works for him. Not by choice. As a slave. And he doesn't pray. He doesn't pray and cast blame on God. And he doesn't pray and cast blame on the king. 
and ask for the destruction of the king. He says, at the end of verse 6, he says, I and my father's house have sinned. And I read that and I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. It's remarkable. He took personal and corporate responsibility and he proved that he was serious, that it wasn't just talk because he starts describing where they sinned, where they missed the mark. That's what sin means, just missed the mark. He says this in verse seven. We acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the, the commandments nor the statutes nor the ordinances which you have commanded your servant Moses. Now, he's talking specifically about the commandments that God gave to Moses, the first five books of the Bible, to explain how Israel is supposed to you know, live and rule. And he says, we didn't, we didn't do what you told us through Moses to do. Now let's connect that to today. Because our city, our nation, our world is in ruins. Like, I'm sure, is there anybody in here who hasn't said in the last two years, this world is messed up? People are crazy. Anybody not say that? Has anybody thought, Canada is messed up? It's crazy. Like, it's in ruins. I think we're on the same page. It's in, it's in ruins. But who's to blame? And are we blaming God and saying, God, fix it? God, like, how come you're allowing bad things to happen to good people? God, where are you? Are we blaming God? Or are we blaming our government, our prime minister? <laughs> because where you cast the blame, you also cast the responsibility. Because responsibility, look at the word, it means the ability to respond. Respondability, right? So if we, listen, listen, Nehemiah didn't cast blame on God and saying, God, it's your responsibility to fix it. That would have been my first prayer. He didn't cast the responsibility on the king to fix it, which you broke it, you fix it. He didn't do that. He took personal and corporate responsibility, and by doing so, I don't want, we can't just move quickly through this. By doing so, he gave himself the ability to respond. So this whole series is like, okay, our nation, our city, our country's in ruins. Me and Big C Church, we've missed it, God. We've missed it. So what do we do? Verse eight, he says, remember the word which you commanded your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. Verse nine, he says, but if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them. So the commandments he's talking about again is the ones that are given to Moses. Now that word commandments jumped out at me because I was like, okay, they didn't, they didn't obey those commandments. But then I started thinking about it like, okay, well, we as the church, we, we have sinned and we haven't obeyed the Ten Commandments, the commandments of Moses, all the rest of it. But then I'm reminded, because I've preached it often here, I'm reminded that Jesus kind of, the Ten Commandments are good, but Jesus upped the game a little bit. And Jesus said in John 15 to his disciples, he said, this is my commandment. In other words, this one trumps of them all. He says, this is my commandment. 
that you love one another just as I have loved you. That one trumps everything. Like, like that one's, that one's, this is the power. And you realize that the Ten Commandments are really about love. It's about loving God, the first four, and it's about loving others, the, the next six. And that Jesus summed all that up and said, okay, all these rules that religion has created, all these things, including the Ten Commandments, can be summed up and just, just love one another as I have loved you. Which loving one another is like, okay, good. As, he, as Jesus loved, that's next level. And you've heard me preach this before, and I'm not going to park here. But this is why we rebranded our church to Parallel Church, is because we decided, and I decided, I was like, this, we got a major in this one, and we're going to come alongside others, and this is going to be our main thing. This is like loving one another, this is our main thing. As, as Jesus loved, we're going to love one another as Jesus loved. This is what we're about. This is what we're doing. And Jesus goes on and describes what this kind of love is. He says, greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for one's friends. Okay, that's next level. And he's not saying, you know, sacrifice. He's, he's not saying commit suicide for somebody. He's, what he's saying is, and he modeled this, is giving up yourself and preferring everyone else sacrificing, paying the price yourself so that others may thrive, right? That, that's, that's what, and then he says this, you are my friends if you believe what I say. Is that what it says? It says, no, you are my friends if you do what I command. Jesus didn't say, you're my friends, if, if you simply believe. He said, you're my friends if you do what I command. And Nehemiah said the same thing. Nehemiah said in verse 9, if you return to me and keep my commandments and believe them. No, he says, keep my commandments and do them. And this is where I got stuck. Because for me, I started to reevaluate my own Christianity, my own faith, and I, I started saying, I started realizing and asking myself this question. I want to ask this question openly for all of you to ask the same question. And the question I asked is, have I reduced Christianity to simply a belief system where what matters most and only what matters is if I believe right? And my first dismissive response was, no, 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 of course not. But then I realized that a lot of my behaviors as a pastor, as a Christian, is all about believing right. And how I associate with those who believe like me. And I disassociate with those who don't believe like me, even in Christian circles. Come on. And it's all about, do we believe it right? Do we believe right? And our whole entire faith has come about, well, you've got to believe. And then I realize that I'm treating the, the lost as those who don't believe. And they don't believe right. 
Some of you are looking at me very worried. Are you saying don't believe in Jesus? I'm not saying that. But I'm sa- I'm asked, the question I'm asking myself is, have we reduced Christianity to simply a belief system where all that matters and the only thing that matters is believing right so that we can get and escape this big, bad, horrible world and get to, to heaven one day if, just because we leave, believe right? And the reason, what I realize is that if I reduce it just to believing and just to believing right, then it's all about me. And it's all about me being able to consume right to help me reinforce my belief right. (laughs) You tracking with me? But Nehemiah didn't say if you believe them, and Jesus didn't say you're my friends if you just believe what I tell you. He says if you do, and I thought, I thought, whoa. And here's the thing. Some of you are looking at me. Help me online. I don't know. Some of the looks in here are like, our pastor's gone nuts. Listen. <laughs> pastor, are you preaching works? Yes. <laughs> but we're not saved by works. I didn't say you were. But I'm saying that faith without works, James said, is what? Dead. In other words, there's some works involved, and that faith, listen, listen, listen. So many people have been deconstructing their Christianity, and this is why, is James told us why, is that we've reduced our faith to just believing, and we've cut the works, and the formula is faith with works produces life. And the moment that I remove works from my faith, it begins to die. And the moment that I make my faith just about believing right and being in the right place, it's just about me and what I can consume, it begins to die. Now watch. Nehemiah goes on, verse nine, the rest of verse nine, he says this. Those of you Though those of you who have been scattered were in the most remote parts of the heavens, I will gather them from there and I will bring them to the place I have chosen to cause my name to dwell. And it hit me really hard, this I have chosen to dwell. And the reason why it hit me hard is, it, it, notice he didn't say where you chose me to dwell. He says where I have chosen to dwell. And what's remarkable is that God is speaking to Nehemiah outside of the temple where Jews thought God only dwelt. And he's like, it's not about where you choose me to dwell, it's where I choose to dwell. And I'm wondering, I'm wondering, I'm wondering if the place where God chooses to dwell today is not inside a building, but is in fact on the streets. And I'm wondering if we reduce our Christianity to just believing right and we reduce, we reduce our faith to just experiencing God one hour a week, one day a week in a building when actually you're no more closer to God sitting here than you are sitting at your desk on Monday. 
Why, why can I say that? Because Jesus in his very first message said this in Matthew chapter five. Very first message he ever preached. He said this, let me tell you why you are here. Anybody else ask that question? Why am I here? Why do I go to church? Like, why, why am I here? Jesus is like, let me tell you why I'm here. Why you are here. He says this, you're here to be light, bringing out the God colors where? In the church. Didn't say that. He says, he says you're called to bring out God colors in the world. In the world. I, I, a couple of years ago when COVID was really um, hammering us hard and we were locked down and, and then when we were able to come back and, and gather uh, all the rest of it, we were under very strict restrictions and we could only have a certain amount of people in the building and you know, all this you know, chairs scattered and everything else just in order to, in order to do this. And it, it, uh, it's hard on a pastor when you go through all this, this stuff and things are going on and you're like, because there's a lot of faces I didn't see and you know, are going, what's happening and what do we have left? And I, I, I was complaining to God and I was saying something like, it's your fault, could you fix it? Um, I told you I didn't pray like Nehemiah. And I felt like God say to me, he's like, Kelly, the church, the church, we can't go back to the church being about how many bums you have in the seat. It's not about how many bums you have in the seat. It's about how many Christians you're activating in the city. And that, that I was like, man, we gotta, I gotta change. It hit me, he's like, you're not here to be God's colors in the church, it's supposed to be in the world. And then he goes on, he says, God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this as a city, there it is again, on a hill. If I make you light bearers, you don't think I'm gonna hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand. And I always thought, okay, what's the bucket? We're hiding under the bucket. That's personally, that means, I was always taught, that means that you don't hide it, you don't hide your faith, you gotta be bold about your faith and preach out there. Stand on the street corner and hold signs that say you're going to hell. You know, do you wanna meet Jesus? Like, I mean, be bold with your faith. That's what I was taught. The bucket, don't cover up your faith. Don't be ashamed of your faith. I think now that the bucket is the church and Jesus is saying, don't keep the light in this building and have people escape from. The light's supposed to be in the city, a city on a hill. It's supposed to be on a light stand. It's supposed to be out there. I was like, okay. Doing what? How do we do this? How do we, how do we make the light shine? We, well, we, we stand on the street corner. We preach at work. We tell everybody at work, I'm a Christian. You should be too. That's how we do it. Is that what Jesus taught? That's what I've been taught. But is that what Jesus taught? Jesus taught this. Look at this. He says, now that I put you on the hilltop on a light stand, shine. Okay, how? Keep open house. Be generous with your lives. And then by opening up to others, you'll prompt people to open up with God. This generous Father in heaven. In other words, Jesus says, hey, watch what I'm doing. Love others like I am. And if you just simply invite yourself into Zacchaeus' house for supper, you don't have to preach. You don't have to say anything. He's going to get saved just because you are so generous with your time. And if you love on the woman caught in adultery, 
She's going to go and sin no more simply because you preached at her and told her how wrong she is. No, because you love. And it's going to open up her heart to God. And this is what Jesus said. You want to be a light? Love others. And I'm wondering, I'm wondering if we've reduced Christianity to a belief system where it only matters what we believe, but according to Jesus is about what we do for others. And it's not about us. It's not about consuming. And the moment we start making our faith about us, just if we're believing right, our faith begins to die. And Christianity isn't about deep teaching. It's about deep doing. And, and here's today's takeaway. And I, I'm going to dare you to post this. Because <laughs> you're going to get some pushback. And you're probably going to want to push back at me. And so if you do, you can email me at ralph at parallelchurch.com. <laughs> Be happy to hear it. <laughs> he loves it when I do that. That's so amazing. Because he gets them too. <laughs> it's awesome. <laughs> Here's the takeaway. Believers don't change the world. Doers do. And listen, I'll sum all of this up this way. Nehemiah changed a city because he took personal and corporate responsibility and by taking per, for the state of his city and by taking personal and corporate responsibility he gave himself the ability to respond translate, translate that to today our city's in ruins our country's in ruins our world is messed up in ruins and we can cast the blame all we want but I'm here to say I think I just happen to think that we should take personal and corporate responsibility for the state of our city, for the state of our nation. And I think if we do that, we give ourselves the ability to respond. And how we do that is we don't just say, okay, I'll take responsibility so I can change it. No, we take responsibility by saying, I and the church have sinned. And that's what I'm saying as a pastor. As I, as your pastor, as a church, We've sinned, and sin means miss the mark. And I wonder if the sin that we're guilty of is being a generation who has allowed others to outdo us. We've reduced our faith to just belief, and we've allowed others to outdo us. And what I mean by that is we've, we've abdicated our responsibilities and allowed the government to out feed the poor, meet all the needs. Jesus said in Matthew 25, I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was naked and you clothed me. He didn't give that responsibility to the government or to the Red Cross. He gave that to the church. And I'm wondering if our sin, missing the mark for the state of our nation, is we've allowed governments to outgive us, outserve us, and hear me out, I'm wondering, this is controversial, I know, but I'm wondering 
If the reason why socialism is, giving, is getting traction and the reason why gender issues are getting so much traction, the reason why, why we're, having, we're having so much confusion around that and the reason why uh, critical theory and critical race theory is getting so much traction is I'm wondering if they're outgracing us and outloving us. And that the church has reduced its responsibility to we got the truth and you're wrong and we're right. And they're out accepting people, they're out tolerating, they're out loving, and we're wondering why there's so much confusion. And, we, and meanwhile, we're st standing up and saying, we're right and you're wrong, and we're wondering why they're not flocking to us. And Jesus is saying, hey, you wanna be a city on a hill? Open up your house. To who? to the world. Be generous. Listen, listen, this is a, this is a pastor talking to you. Be gen generous. To what? To the church? That's what we've preached forever and ever. I'm guilty of that as much as anybody. So that we can build big, big, bigger, better buildings for us? I don't think we, we got to change some things as a church and saying, what, we got to be generous for what? To redeem our cities. What if we did that instead of building bigger, shinier? What if? What if we could change a city? What if? It's time to take the bucket off. <laughs> Let the light shine. Let's pray. God, please forgive me, us, for having reduced our, our faith to just simply believing right. Lord, we, I, have sinned against you. We've missed the mark. And I pray that you'd help us to see that in our day-to-days. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us to show us how to be generous and how to love on others, how to open up our hearts, our lives, not in a weird way, but loving, giving, serving, tomorrow at work, this week, Lord, whatever it might be, I pray that you'd give us eyes to see and ears to hear what your spirit is saying to the church. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus yet, I, I wanna provide an opportunity. Maybe the reason why you haven't began a relationship with Jesus, maybe you're like, maybe you're thinking, I just, I can't believe all that. I can't believe all the Bible. I don't know if I agree with everything Christians do and church does, and I don't know if I can align with that. Listen, there's only one thing, according to Paul the Apostle, there's only one thing that you need to believe, and that is that you need to believe that Jesus rose again from the dead, and that makes him God.
And if you believe Jesus is God, he promises salvation right there. And so if, if you don't yet know if you have a relationship with Jesus, I'm gonna lead us in a prayer that's gonna confess with your mouth that Jesus is God. And if you believe what you're praying is true, right here, right now, you can begin a relationship with Jesus. It's not joining a church. It's not joining religion. It's a personal relationship with God. Let's pray this together. Everyone repeat this after me. If you're praying it for the first time, pray with all your heart and meaning. If you're praying, if you're watching online, just pray with me wherever you are. Let's pray this together. Dear Jesus, I confess that you are God. And I believe that you rose again from the dead. And I ask you right now to become my God, my Lord and Savior, and my friend. Thank you for forgiving me of all my sins for accepting me just as I am. I give my heart to you. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm gonna ask everyone to close their eyes and bow your heads. If you pray this prayer for the first time, everyone else's eyes are closed, heads are bowed. If you pray this prayer for the first time and you wanna begin a relationship with Jesus, would you just boldly raise up your hand and give me a wave and say, hey, Pastor, I prayed this prayer the first time. I wanna begin a relationship with Jesus. And at the end of the service, we'd love to give you a Bible. Our free gift to you explains what this relationship's all about. Let's look around one more time. Just give me a quick wave and saying, yeah, Pastor, I prayed this prayer. I want to begin a relationship with Jesus. If you're watching online and you pray this prayer for the first time, just click like on the, on the I have decided comment below and, and we'll love to send you a Bible as well. Isn't God good?